0: Hey, it's Bobby.
1: And this is Jared.
0: And you're listening to the Frankensets Podcast. We're excited to be here with you uh, today. And, um, you know, hey, we're just going to keep rolling on our conversation about what's happening in this world because a lot of craziness, a lot of of just, man, just so many things to talk about. And, um, you know, the thing is about it is – Social media obviously gives us plenty of fodder for this whole thing because it's like there's so much that we can pull out from memes to comments right. to uh, statuses to um, you know the things the president yeah. does everything else and so um, sure. so we're, let's so let's just chat shall we
1: let's just chat we gotta debrief the past week Bobby I don't feel like our conversation has really stopped um, you know I've um, you know, you've, you've kept really involved, you know, trying to pull some friends together and uh, keep some conversations going, you know. And I, I thank you for inviting me to that, um, you know, earlier this week. I mean, that's just one of the many things uh, that I see going on that sort of kept this conversation going. It feels like so much has developed in a week. I actually, uh, I never do this, but I listened to our podcast from last week. I listened to it just last night. Mm. And because I wanted to see how much things change in a week, and you can hear in our voices that you know, we had been talking about, you know, Ahmed Arbery, and then we had come to this George Floyd thing and just wondered why. But I don't think either of us were prepared for how many people were about to start speaking out. I mean, if you listen to me at the beginning of last week's episode. I'm amazed that there I just have 3 Facebook friends that had spoken out about it, you know. Mm. Uh two people on their personal experiences and one, you know, person in military leadership speaking out. I found that remarkable because usually something like this goes down and there's borderline silence out there. Yeah. In the ether, or you'll have one or two people talking about it, and everybody dismissing that person as well. You just get riled up, you know, or you're just being quote unquote political, you know. Right. And uh but then, you know, I, I mean, it just it just snowballed and snowballed. And I mean this in a good way. I choose not to be cynical about any of this. There is a lot of talk going on, and in just the last seven days, hmm. I've seen everything from you know Facebook and Instagram posts to uh, Zoom conversations uh, happening and being posted, and and now, and I don't know how to feel about this. Maybe we could talk about it. You know, every uh, company or website out there is posting a statement. You know, yeah. I I kid you not. I was just checking my bank account <laughs> about an hour ago. As I do after we've gone grocery shopping, I like to see <laughs> what the damage is. Did, did we stay in budget grocery shopping? I'm checking it out, and I kid you not, my bank has a statement about Black Lives Matter, and that's awesome. That could be that. That is awesome, right? And I, a little part of me says, okay, is that virtue signaling? You know, is this is this a public relations on their part that they've seen that the zeitgeist is going towards? You know, this and uh, or, you know, is this finally like the tearing away of the veil and people are going, man, racism is everywhere. Even the bank needs to say something, you know. I mean, Sesame Street is having a town hall meeting for children. No joke. Sesame Street.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you know,
1: if you go to Amazon.com right now, the first thing you see is it says Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean this is great. See, we could be cynical and say it's virtue signaling, or we could say, well, no, maybe, maybe this is finally being normalized, as it always should have been.
0: Yeah, no, dude, I think um, I think that's exactly what it, what it needs to be. Is that the virtue signaling piece? I think that people want to throw out there. I think is is um, again that that's a part of their comfort level, right? They don't want to acknowledge the fact that maybe, right. maybe just maybe. Um, them not saying anything about this, them uh, re- re- refraining from being active and speaking out on racial uh, uh, issues that, that they might be actually in the wrong. So then what they want to do is they want to go ahead and throw out the virtual, virtue signaling. They want to go ahead and say, oh, this is only because all of a sudden people care about it. Dude, this has been cared about right. for four hundred years. Like this is not something that just right. uh, out of nowhere. Like this has been going on forever. And for people to be always to
1: be big stuff and so oh. much evidence, you know, so much evidence. We do not need conspiracy theories. We don't need some crazy video to tell us that there is racism in America. Right. I mean just piles and piles and piles of evidence. From all the people of history in their own words.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, these businesses. I think really what it's coming down to is people want to know where they're putting their money now, right? Um, I've seen right. I've seen people the reports that were coming out about you know and and look, I, I'm not saying one way or the other whether you can just, you can just stop eating places or whatever, but like there was a place a Wendy's franchise in Texas, I believe that the owner of that Wendy's was giving money to Trump's campaign. Um, a, a, a Taco Bell owner was giving money to a Trump campaign and then somebody else. And people were like, wait a second. Like this does not go along with our – like where we want to be putting our money. And so they're not doing that. It's the same thing that happened though too. Like if you want to go to another route for just to support those who are on the um, the more far right side um, – that the the when dicks sporting goods said they're no longer going to carry certain guns or carry guns at all i think um people are like well looks like like dicks isn't getting my money you know what i mean um and so but again like some of those people would say how dare these people say they're not going to give money to wendy's or taco bell or whatever because they're supporting trump but you're not going to give money because they stopped carrying guns You know what I mean? Like, there, it's like, everybody feels like, well, how dare you, how dare you, but you're willing to do it one way or the other. Right. It's, it's like, it cracks me up how we are as human beings that we do that. You know, it's like, um, and, and again, I don't, I don't support, I don't support people just like instantly boycotting places. Um, I think that people need to follow their convictions though. If you don't want to put your money toward that certain group of people, then don't do it. Right. Um, but you have to be making sure that you're going to stay constant in that as well. Are you research? Are you researching yeah. other places? That kind of thing. But back to your point, though. Sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. But back to your point, though, is that people want to know where they want where they're putting their money. They want to see. They want to hear. They want to know. Are you with us or are you against us? It's the "Oh brother, where art thou?" Uh, moment when uh, uh, what's his name, Pappy. Um, Happy oh, daniel. daniel thank you uh you, <laughs> where he's standing is you is or is you ain't my constituents right um
1: oh no that's homer stokes homer stokes said that
0: homer stokes said that okay thank you but i know it was, it was one, yeah. of those, one of those characters on on that movie it was
1: one of the it was one of the southern politicians from that movie <laughs> yes
0: and he said is you is or is you ain't my constituents and when he said those words he was saying look I want to know if you're with me or not. And granted, at that point in time, he was trying to figure out, are you with me in racism or not? Um, but, right. but
1: he was a secret, not-so-secret member of the Ku Klux Klan.
0: <laughs> right. But for us, like I think a lot of people are right now saying, I want to know, are you mine or are you not? Are you on my side or are you not? Are you going to stand with me when I feel like I'm being oppressed? Will I know that you are with me? And if I'm putting my money in your bank... Uh-huh. And you're using my money to go ahead and build up your stock prices and to invest in things because that's what people you know because that's what the banks do they use our money for certain things and and so it's like when that's happening okay so you're using my I'm giving you business are you with me and if I'm giving you business i okay. need to know, I need to know that you're on, that you're gonna be supporting me in my issues in my pain in my struggle right um yeah and so so well, I that's think good
1: you definitely have explained the bank thing for me because I just found this out and I was even like, man, I mean, I love it. Listen, I love it. Like everybody's got a, a statement about it and I, I just want to take a minute just to appreciate the mass amounts of talking that's going on. Yes. I, I, I can't, I, I gotta, I, I can't hide my enthusiasm for it. It, I am super happy that people are speaking out about, Racism and just about the desire for you know racial equity you know mm. in this country, and that's not I feel like that's something that people haven't wanted to talk about. I mean, am I crazy for feeling that this is similar mm-hmm. to what we saw with uh hashtag me too I mean is that a fair comparison
0: um I would say so. I think that um you can definitely say this is not like I think on steroids um Because I think the hashtag, the hashtag me too, I think.
1: Yeah, it's like there was, there was definitely kind of a snowball effect. There was a bit of a cleaning house. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a huge public focus on it. And I feel like that didn't, you know, end things or it didn't make, it didn't, it didn't solve everything. Okay. I'm not naive about it. It didn't solve everything, but it did create so much awareness for women. Mm Mm-hmm that I think is still in effect right now. I think it I think it definitely put a dent in, in the abuse and oppression of women. And I'm hoping that this kind of time right here is a similar thing. And I hope it is what you say on steroids. I hope it's like this, just this big thing. And I just hope it snowballs into actual equality.
0: Um, yeah, I think that um, the, the great thing about the me too movement like you said it did raise awareness of the conversation was being had um you see um Weinstein go, go to prison you know what i mean like um you see yeah. uh and man you know it's it's sad to think that like bill cosby had that huge fall from grace but at the same time like to see him go down with the me too movement as well you know it's like all these people who are using their position of power to influence women and to manipulate women and to and to yeah. to, to push them down to use them for their own gratification. Yeah. That that needed to happen. But the other but Yeah, the,
1: because it was silent and unchecked. Yeah. You know?
0: But the great thing about it though too was that I think it also brought around that hashtag church to movement, right? Um oh,
1: yeah. that, I forgot, I, but yeah, that was very important. How could I forget? Yeah,
0: like I think that without the me too piece church too wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have seen a Beth Moore rise up and say, this is what happened to me. You wouldn't have heard some of the other female leaders stepping in. You wouldn't have seen Bill Hybels from Willow Creek church have the fall that he had, right? Because women were finally saying, wait a second, I can speak up. Wait a second. My voice can be heard. And I'm not praising the fact that Bill Hybels fell. I'm saying, I'm glad that finally some women felt strong enough, or emboldened enough, empowered yeah. enough to speak out because that should never be happening in the church in the first place. And so,
1: and that the culture, and that the culture had changed enough at a grassroots level to receive that. Yes, you know, because women had tried to speak in the past, but the culture was just deaf to it.
0: Yeah, and I think now what we're seeing with the. Um, With the Black Lives Matter movement, it's been going on for a long time, but I think that this was such a blatant abuse of power, and I think – and it's been – it piggybacked upon um, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna, right? Breonna – uh, shoot yes um you know who I'm talking about I, and everybody else will probably hear too but um yes yeah I and I didn't have time to look her up but but the reality of it is I was like and I should know her name so I apologize to listeners I don't know her name I will I will learn that very quickly when I take a pause here but the reality of it is though is talking that, about
1: Brianna Taylor
0: Brianna Taylor thank you um yes I, I don't know why I had Fisher in my head but yes Taylor Brianna Brianna Taylor you have um yeah. You know, um, so so you have you have all these things that are happening and they all fell in line. But then again, when you look in the past however many years to see several years upon where there are people who unarmed African American people being murdered, right? And everybody's yeah. kind of being like just getting off scot free. You know, you have Zimmerman, you have other police officers who just kind of you okay, you're gonna lose your position, but you're gonna go ahead and get a severance package and you're gonna be kind of pushed away, right? That that should never happen. When right, and so so this is now saying, look, like enough is enough. We're tired. We're worn out. We need to speak. And this is what we're seeing. And there are plenty of white people um, who are finally stepping in, saying, "You can't do this alone," because we ignore. Because Kaepernick was ignored. Ignored. Um, He was pushed out of the NFL for that reason. Um,
1: And black. And it's, it's was obvious to just everyone, you
0: know. Yeah, and so it's like when you, when you see all the all the things that have been ignored, even with the Trayvon Martin um, case, when people were wearing their hoods up and trying to show like, look, this could have been me, right? Like, it was constantly there was always something pointing, and everybody just kind of went like, okay, like let them protest, let them do what they got to do, and then you know sooner or later this will die down and we'll be okay, right?
1: Yep. You're absolutely right, and I'm telling you, it's like the defeat and frustration in our conversations about this two and three weeks ago is because I thought the same kind of thing was going to happen with this.
0: Yeah, and I think that, um, it, well, it, it definitely boiled over, right? Um and, yeah. and in all credit, right, in all fairness, really, I want to say that um, we know, and it, whether you want to believe what the media says or not... Um, I'm listening to my friends who are on the front lines during these protests, um, yeah. who are saying, "No, we are watching people who are not a part of this come in and start the destruction. Like they are, they are truly, right. they, they are truly watching white people come in dressed in Antifa costumes, right. tearing stuff up and trying to trying to create turmoil, and then
1: trying to and that's been caught on video,
0: yeah." But again, people won't believe that. They're going to instantly say all these, you know. They're going to make, they they instantly say all these protesters, and it's like no, there's right. there's rioters, and then there's protesters. The rioters are people who are just coming in to create chaos. They want to see the world burn. But the protesters want to see healing. They want to see change. They want to see restoration. They want to see reconciliation. But they have to make noise in, in over in order to get that. But they're trying to do it in a peaceful manner. I watched my hometown. I thank God for the videos that came out of Glendora, California. Man, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody has seen any videos from that. But but I watched people show. Like yes, there were these one-off um, white power guys that came out yelling some words. And you know, I heard I heard about that. And in, in in my town, white power has been something that's been said many many times. And it's a wealthy white community. So there's always going to be those people who want to keep that that way. However, what I saw in the footage of people kneeling and then police officers kneeling with them, um, you know, it was like there was a – it was a legitimate peaceful protest. People saying, we really want to see change and we want to see it happen here. The LAPD, Glendora Police Department, like all around like area – like. There's always been that stigma of um, corruption of of police officers not doing their job correctly, and there are some great police officers who work for in the LAPD and Glendora PD. My one of my best friends, his dad was an LA County Sheriff. Right, like I um, I would never say anything negative about the police force. I recognize that there are right. there are bad apples. Um, however. When I look at what happened in Glendora, I say to myself, "That is what it should be." The voices are being heard. Yeah. People are st- are there with with the officers, and they're doing this together. Now, um, you know, ultimately, what we have to say now is, uh, what what is being said in the media? What is being said by le- right. by leadership? Um, to create even more dissension and even more anger. Yeah. So, um man, I'm seriously, I'm like <laughs> like you said, I'm excited to see how much speaking is happening. All um excited to see what kind of um protesting is occurring. Um I made kind of a joke today, but I also was serious. You know, our generation, okay. right? Like so I'm thirty eight, um you know, you're, yeah, uh, I, I am forty. You're, you're forty. You broke up, so just keep it there. You're forty. Forty well, two. Forty two. Yeah, so. well, we
1: could. I'm telling you, I'm forty two. I love it. I I don't mind telling people my age because they go, "Man, you look 38.
0: Yeah, well, hey, and people look at me and they say, "Oh, you look, you look like you're supposed to be that age." That's great. Um, so, <laughs> but, but but either way, like in our in our generation, like um, Rage Against the Machine was a big deal, right? Um, yeah. And I made That's the true. I made the comment like um, a lot of people who listen to Rage Against the Machine, um, <laughs> if you listen to it, and you and you didn't listen to the lyrics, uh, then then you really are you're kind of missing out on the point of this whole thing because Rage Against the Machine, if you listen to them and you paid attention to the lyrics, this shouldn't be a surprise to you, right? Because. Yeah. Everything they always said was, Look, we're gonna be fighting until we change something. We're gonna be fighting to free people who are um in, incarcerated who should not be incarcerated. We're gonna to fight to free the um the uh our our Mexican friends are are who have been yeah. the borders the border walls that were being built, you know, like before Trump even started. They were making border walls and right. like, saying like, Look, we're trying to keep these people out. And it's like, look, our, our blood or sweat can be poured into your soil to go ahead and make sure that you have all the vegetables you want, but you want to make sure we're, 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 we're kept on our side of the border unless we're doing work for you. That's a problem. Yeah. And, yeah. And so Ray J's Machine is always saying that, but I'm like, I, and one of my friends said, if you could sit there headbanging to him back then, and then today you're complaining, then you're a sellout. Right. And I was like, yes. Right. You know, because. I, I mean, the, the problem is, is that they were always pointing to what needed to be changed. So now, what we're right. seeing is a movement, right? A movement, and um, I believe that's
1: true. I believe that's true, and I just pray that um, it's not not a trend. It doesn't feel like a trend.
0: I think it, it's only a trend if we if we stop. Right. Um, I think. Um, I think that's what has to be talked about, too, is that when people yeah. when people actually just stop talking about it, that's when it just yeah. becomes a trend. And um, we wait until some one other thing to happen to make us um, outraged. And then we go ahead and raise raise hell again. Um, the reality of it is like we just got to the the people who are protesting need to continue protesting. It can't die out. And and what a great time for us to continue protesting, because with yeah. covid-19. You know, I mean, many people are still looking for jobs, or are out of jobs, or can't go to other places. So you know what? Put on a mask and march. You know what I mean? Because um, you have time, you have the ability to do it. And
1: that's a good point, actually. Yeah.
0: So, but yeah, so um, I want to ask your thoughts because I've seen some, and I want to talk about this too, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it, but. Um, what have you seen as a response from your our church friends?
1: Okay, uh, the Catholic Church down the street from me—I'll just call them out. All Saints Catholic Church has yeah. been very outspoken about social justice, and in a way, they always have been. But they have really turned up the heat this week, yeah. and they are posting stuff on uh, like social media that I've never seen any church post. And they every week they have this thing called a concert of prayer and they social distance they have four people come in and stand in like four corners of the giant sanctuary uh and they make music there's a piano in one corner drums in the other corner and they stick it live on facebook and a former student of mine um sings in the group and they sang a bunch of social justice songs last week sweet uh yeah, I mean, worship leaders at my church, you know, um, posting Black Lives Matter, and this is amazing because, you know, I know these people are coming from a good place and always want to speak about this stuff and do in our small groups, um, but uh, I have seen some pastors, and I, I see that they're trying. I see that I see that they're trying. No one's spoken out in a really, um, I guess, tone deaf way. But I also see that they a little bit don't get it. They're really trying to wrap their minds around this idea that maybe it's in the fabric of their theology, that what's Christian is American to them and white to them. Hmm. And they have always equated black people, whether they want to admit it or not, with being the other, and that black people are welcome in their church as long as they can assimilate to, you know, white style culture, which, you know, every, you know, a lot of people think is, again, you know, uh, American and um, um, white, you know, and um, I can see them for the first time in their lives realizing that. Black Lives Matter doesn't have to equate someone with being anti-American or violent or criminal. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the underlying stereotype uh, that, that white people in general have always bought into with black people um, and, and in, g- in general non-whites, but, but especially black people – Over the last 400 years is that they can't be trusted, that they're uh, innately criminal, Mm -hmm. um, that they cannot govern themselves, that they must have white people in charge of them to sort of guide them in the way a bunch of teachers must control a a group of middle schoolers or something, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're not going to have the intelligence or the maturity because there is a racial inferiority. That has been a big lie in America. From the beginning, it was a lie that was created to justify slavery. The crazy thing is when slavery ended, that lie did not go away. There was a time right after the Emancipation Proclamation and people were starting to set the slaves free. It took a few years. You know, That's what Juneteenth is all about is it took like three to five years to actually free the slaves mm-hmm. uh, even after the war ended. But um, what <laughs> – But what happened then was people tried to have these sort of biracial government groups and through um, thuggery on the part of whites, through lies, through manipulation, through bribes, through terrorism on the part of whites in power – this was before the Ku Klux Klan even existed – they did Ku Klux Klan terrorist acts to force black people – out of communities and to try to get them away from government. And they realized then that, that the only way to you know, maintain the status quo was to basically terrorize black people. So then you have this thing in 1890 uh, into the 20th century called the nadir of race relations. A lot of historians call it the nadir. It is actually when violence towards black people just increased and increased and increased. It's when the lynchings really took off and the terrorism against black people really took off. I mean, it was when they started to force people out of their homes. It's when they started to force people out of communities. It's when they started to create sundown towns, you know, which we've talked about that on here before, You know, uh, nice. a town uh, you know, in which uh, there's a curfew for just people of color. You know, whites are free to do whatever they want in this town, but in some towns, black people weren't even to be seen in city limits after sundown. They had to live outside the city, almost in some kind of weird dystopian, you know, sort of Hunger Games kind of way. You know, is sure. like if if you're black, don't be downtown, uh, or you can be shot on site, or you can be lynched on site. You know, you can be dragged away and lynched on site. And that continued, and that kind of terrorism happened well into the 20th century, and actually, sadly, in some areas of the country, it it never stopped. But that is how segregation was really created. It was through terrorism like that, you know, and forcing people out of their homes, forcing them to live in different places, and, you know... Uh, black people had to leave had to leave their communities and and go to cities or other places and they they tried all kinds of places and some places they weren't welcome because the sundown town thing didn't just happen in the south you know this sort of misconception that you know racism is like unique to the south i mean it was big and blatant in the south because that's where slavery was but that sort of perpetuates Racism in the North and let that go on. Like, people thought, well, there's no racism in the North. No, like, (laughs) Illinois was full of it, you know? Ohio was full of it, you know? Um, If you read New York papers from the late 1800s, early 20th century, New York City newspapers, they are deeply racist, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's racism like all over the country. And the idea is like, we can't let black people ever have equality because they can't be trusted. And that has been handed down. I don't know how either. If it's just a lie of Satan, Bobby, I don't, or if we're just sharing it with our children without realizing it, that like you can't trust people of color, but that's the that's that's the lie, right? And so I talk on this podcast a lot about, you know, just white supremacies everywhere. And I, I maybe need to adjust that that terminology, you know, um, you know, a, a friend of yours from the, the, like the panel that you hosted the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Derek, you know, he said that, you know, um, white people are socialized to racial superiority and black people are socialized to racial inferiority. Mm. And I think that may be a better way to say it. That's probably a way that I should start saying it is that maybe we're, you know, cause a lot of people, shut down. When I say white supremacy, that just means like you believe white people should be in charge because they're better. You know, that's actually what a lot of people think and don't even realize it, you know, um, you know, because of our culture. Right. But, um, maybe another way to say that to get them to listen. So they don't just think I'm talking about, you know, you know, KKK, um, people or, um, skinheads or something, you know, um, is that we're socialized to racial superiority this this idea that like you know um the way white people do it is the best way you know and anything else is less and therefore the default should be you need to copy the way the white people do it yeah it's just an american that's an american attitude it's a sad american attitude but we we get that here's my point i'm finally getting there we have inherited that somehow in the church you know we've talked often about how church is segregated you know and <laughs> black people weren't treated as equals in church you know and mm. and they were treated as second class citizens as inferior in church. so they started meeting in church congregations and that's how you know black church you know a white church happened in America. And everybody knows what black church and white church is in America. Every American knows that. Even if you don't go to church, you know that there's a such thing, right? Yep. And that's how that happened. Well, here's the thing. This idea that like we're socialized to racial superiority is that if there's a white church, the way the white church is doing something has to be the right way. Has to be the <laughs> right Christian way, you know? Yeah. And I kind of grew up with that sort of being uh, taught to me and I don't think anybody was teaching it blatantly but when i would hear when we would hear black church music we'd say oh that's weird that's silly that's different that's not the real christian music you know although it's the most beautiful music ever to come out of america i mean all of american music is basically based on black gospel mm. i mean when you think american music and you look at the roots of it it comes from black church. Right. But so we all like sort of love the culture, but we look at church and we look at, you know, a big gospel church choir and we would all say, oh no, that's different. That's different from us. And, you know, I'll be, I'll just put it out there. It's like, you know, why the contemporary movement in the late nineties felt good to so many of us white people is because that music, that seemed pretty white. You know, because if you listen to every church band, every contemporary church band in the 90s and early 2000s, they all sound like U2, yeah. you know, uh, like an Irish band, you know, they mm-hmm. really do. You know, I mean, some of my favorite bands, Delirious and Sonic Flood and these wonderful praise songs that we sing now. Well, they're kind of they're kind of mimicking U2 if you want to get right down to it. But that felt we didn't know it, but that felt white you know and then we'd hear somebody like kirk franklin or something who's evolving on like a a different progression you know we'd go (laughs) oh that's strange that's not my music you know right and you look at the music industry you look at like a best of music uh for that year uh as a christian you remember the uh the wow uh christian cds that came out every year oh yeah contemporary you know They would always throw like a Kirk Franklin or like a BB Winans or CC Winans on there. And we would go, you know, and we would think like, oh, well, you know, this is like the token black song because the rest of this music is the real Christian music. I could only think that, Bobby. Bobby, I could only think that if I was a racist. Mm. So I was, you know what I mean? And um, it is a, you know, we were socialized to think like the white way of church. So there are people that just like their job pastors i'm getting to the pastor question man their their job has been the white way (laughs) of doing church in america and so black to them has always seemed like a bad thing right Hmm. like black church is weird like black dress is automatically like pagan uh if it's if it's too african then it's pagan or if it's too hip-hop then it's thuggery or gangster, you know, mm-hmm. and that has been a stereotype that I grew up with and didn't even know it. And I mean, crap, man, I, you know, when I started to sort of notice this and see this and find this out about myself, uh, and I, I don't even know who pushed me over the edge with it. I'll be honest with you. I think it might have been DC talk. <laughs> I, think it, I think it might have been Toby Mack and Michael Tate, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is racial equality, you know? But something pushed me over the edge, and I just started to see it, you know? Um, I could tell you a little bit about my story, how I started reading African-American literature, but I don't think right now is the time or the place, and I don't <laughs> think anyone cares at this point. I'd like to hear what you have to say about pastors.
0: <sighs> I think that pastors have been forced to do what makes the congregation comfortable um okay because in all reality i believe there are many pastors who would want to speak out on this type of stuff who would say certain things like this but they also know that if they do say these kind of things then they probably won't be having a job much longer um right and so or they're
1: gonna gonna lose the tithes
0: yeah they'll you know? lose the tithes and so right. and if and so they have to be careful on that well they've had to be careful on that i'm not gonna say they have to i'm saying they've had to now whether that's right, right. or wrong as a whole other thing um but i also say like when it comes to the whole like because you're talking about dress like what's what makes like people feel comfortable right the the white is right kind of thing right that's a um right. that that feeling in the church I think what has happened um and this has been something that's gone on for a long time um in the church is when we decided that you had to dress a certain way to come to church, and this has gone yeah. on for a long time right that in order to come to church, you had to dress properly, you had to look clean you had to and and if we really want to be honest about this, church was made well obviously we can go to the beginning of church right when the church started yeah. it was for everybody it was open to everybody anybody and everybody can come in be a part of it but when the social yeah. when the social elites started saying hmm we're making like we're putting money into this we want this to be clean we want this to be able to fit my comfort and so then what happened was they're going to say in order to be in church you have to dress a certain way so you have to wear your nice suits. You have to wear your nice ties. You have to wear your nice dresses. You have to have the nice hair hairdos. You have to look good on Sunday morning. And the reason why they did yeah. that was because they knew if they did that, that would keep the quote-unquote riffraff out, right? That would keep the poverty-stricken people out. That would keep the African-Americans out. That would keep the people who could not afford to dress well out of their building because they wanted to make sure that they were socially Clean that they kept that place theirs, and so that was the process. So now, when we start telling people what happened when we started doing that, was your culture is not welcome here because if your yeah. culture tells you that you dress a certain way, well, that's not our culture, so you're not welcome here. If you can't afford to be this way, well, then you aren't welcome here, and so you're going to have to come to either an early service. Or you're going to have to come to an. you have to go to a, to a, a tent preacher because we're not going to let you into our building. So that's why when you have the tent revivals going on, that's when everybody in the community can go because well, anybody can go to a tent, but you're not yeah. coming into our church. So
1: ah, uh, uh, I didn't realize that about
0: the tent thing, man. Well, so that's like a that's an yeah. unspoken thing about tent tent ministry is that tent ministry was a way for people to kind of go around speaking the word of God in different communities because, um, but the reality of what it was is that they started pitching the tents that way they can bring in the poor because the thing is they didn't want them in their building. So pitch the tent, do this in the weekend or in the evening, whatever, evangelize, you know, save the poor people, but don't let them come into our church. Um, so that was, you know, so that's kind of the, those, those hidden messages that are there. Now, in order for us to think those things through, though, you have to put yourself out of that social elite standing, right? Because if you're able to walk into church with a nice set of shoes and nice and nice clothes on and you can sit in the front row and feel comfortable, you're one of the social elite because the back row is for the people who couldn't afford it. The back row is where everybody goes, that they sneak in, they sit in the back and, and then hope that they're not seen and they can get out of the church quick enough so that people don't see the clothes that they're wearing, right? So now uh, – yeah. So there's all this construct that's been built around the church that has totally dem- demolished what Jesus meant for the church to be. But we have yeah. to be honest about it. We have to be honest about the things that we've set up to create damage to the very people that Jesus came to save. And so, um, but that, but that means that we have to, we have to be honest about it. We have to own up to the things that we've done. What are the things that we say? What are the things that we believe? If you, this is why, um, one of the things I love telling some of my students when I started doing youth ministry here in um, in Philippi, actually, I would have a Bible study with them and they'd be like, wait a second, like, um, we're about to go into church. Like, should we take off our hats? I'm like, why would you take your hat off? Right? Like, and, and, and people are like, wait, this is the sanctuary. I'm like, nah, like, no, like you believe then that only God is present in this place. And this was always yeah. my challenge to them. It's like, once you believe that God right. is only present in this sanctuary, you're missing the mark. And they're like, well, what are you talking I about? Know it. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, would you, do you wear a hat out in public? Well, yes, I do. Why? And they said, well, because I mean, it's sunny out or it's whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, do you not believe God's there? Because if you don't believe God, if you believe God is everywhere, then that means that your hat shouldn't be on your head anytime. If you're going to be holding, because <laughs> if you're, you're going to be right. holding this holy place, with that like God left the temple for a reason the 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 curtain tore so God could be present with humanity again like he, like that was what happened in that moment. So now, if we believe He's everywhere, that means that if you're going really if you're going to hold firm to that the way that we always talk about it, then that means that every single day of the week you should be wearing a nice suit, nice tie, right? Every single day of the week, yeah. you shouldn't be wearing a hat out in public. Every single day of the week, you should make sure you're well-groomed and cleaned up, even in your home. Why? Because God is present, right? The sanctuary is you. It is no longer a building. So, all that to say, pastors have to start speaking out into their systems, start challenging systems, start flipping over the tables that Jesus would do, and say, look, if you want me to be your pastor, we got to start making sure that our, our, our councils, our, our committees... That we have people of color, minorities that are present on these um, councils, that we don't only pick out the, the people who tithe the most, that we're really asking the people who are poor like to be part of our committees as well it's that way because're we're, if we're serving them, they, the, who's going to speak more into how we can serve better than the people who we're serving, right start uh, yeah, start challenging the constructs um, don't just tokenize. Don't just tokenize. Don't just put somebody in place because, oh, well, look at us. We have a black person on our we have a black person on our council. It's like, no. Have them lead it, right? Have them lead a conversation. Have them guide a conversation. Have them lead a subcommittee, you know, like around racial reconciliation. Like, do yeah. something like that. If you really want to start seeing change in the church, then you gotta start leading that. And that's a that's a message to all the pastors. And right now I know COVID 19 is hurting some people. But there are a lot of churches that are back in action, that are opening their doors. If they're not, if they're not talking about this now, if they're not talking about ways to get better, um, then I would, I would dare to say that they're guilty of worshiping money over God, because really they don't want to risk that.
1: Right, I, I would, I suspect that that's true, um, and I, I think that that's probably. Um, I think that's probably what's behind most of our bad decisions about race. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's all been to, you know, from the very beginning, it was, it was all about financial gain for certain individuals who just, you just went there, you know?
0: yeah,
1: And I feel like so often it still is, you know, and I think people who just are suspicious suspicious about equality. They've, if they haven't bought into the the lie of of race, and and in fact, a lot of people have. But if they haven't bought into the lie of race, then they must sense that. Uh, th- then the only other reason that they could oppose, you know, equality is that they must sense that they are currently in power. And that hmm. equality would mean less power for them and more for someone else. I mean, shoot. I mean, it's simple, right? If yeah. I'm in, you know, we're on a teeter-totter, you know? <laughs> and if I'm if I'm up and you're down, you know, uh, in order for us to meet in the middle, you got to go up and I got to go down. And then we'll both be equal and everything will be balanced. But some people don't want it that way, you know? They're like, I don't want to go down. Right. I don't want you in the middle, you know? And I mean, you know? I mean, I, I think marriage is probably a pretty good way to look at that. I mean, there there are marriages that are sort of based on on power. You know, that's why you know some people can say my house, my rules, or you know, I make the money, so I make the rules. You know, that's not a love relationship; that's a power relationship. But yeah. then there are marriages where there is equality between husband and wife, and it doesn't matter who makes more money. And that's a whole different, that's a whole different scenario. You know, yeah. I'd like to see the latter happen. And I do not. And I want everybody to just realize it's like, hey, if we're going to say black lives matter, let's also say black culture is special. Let's not expect black people to change anything about themselves in order to be equal or accepted in uh, order to be safe walking the streets or safe being pulled over by the police. Right.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. And, and I'm going to speak on behalf of, um, I mean, being that I'm Hispanic and I'm on this podcast and whatnot, I'm going to speak to say also we should not expect white people to change themselves either. Like, and let me say okay. that, let me make that clear in the sense of if you're a if you're racist – you better change that, okay? If you aren't willing to listen yeah. to your stories of your African American, um, Mexican, Asian, you know anybody who is not white, if you're not willing to listen to their stories and listen to listen to their experiences, you have a problem there.
1: Yeah, so, you are so, wrong.
0: <laughs> so you need to fix that. But yes. if you are just a white person who's like, look, like I want to learn, like admitting your ignorance and that's okay, right? Because I think that's a, that's a very okay thing to say. Is that look. I, don't, I just don't know. I want to learn more. I want to I want to experience more. Dude, awesome. Great. Then, yeah, then grow in that. But if you're a white person, like, man, like, I should – don't be ashamed of your whiteness, right? Because you had – just like I don't have the ability to, to change myself being Mexican. You cannot yeah. change being white. You were born that way. I was okay. born that way. So don't be ashamed of that. I saw somebody saying, like, why should I be ashamed of my whiteness? Like, And, and I'm like, yeah. no, that's not what we're saying. That's it.
1: right. You're right. Cause shame, shame and guilt are really useless at this point, you Ooh. know? Right. Uh, like, so for me as a white person, if I could speak to that, uh, I like who I am. All I'm saying is that who I am and the culture that I grew up with isn't better than somebody else's. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not less. It's not beneath, but it's definitely not above. Right. And just cause my skin color is in the majority. It doesn't mean that our, our way of doing things how we grew up, how we sing songs, you know, how we talk, how we dress, just because we're in the majority, that doesn't doesn't make it the best way. It just makes it one way. It makes it the same, right? I should be able to sit in my sort of white looking outfit and my blonde hair. I should be able to sit next to a person who's dressed completely different, different skin color and they're dressed in a way that they grew up in their culture and we should be able to sit together and we shouldn't think like one's better than the other but unfortunately that's what we've been doing is saying like oh don't come to work dressed like that or don't come to church dressed like that because that's inferior not welcome here
0: right and you know and so then you also have to say to yourself like okay so so i'm not supposed to be ashamed of my whiteness then what should I be working on? And what like when you hear white privilege, right? And we talked about that in our panel. Is like, look, we're not talking about the white skin. We're talking about the white construct, right? We're talking about the white, right? Like the, the system that we that is out of our hands. The things that you've been, like you said, you've been you've been raised in. That now you have to kind of deconstruct what you know. It's like how people are deconstructing their faith. We have to deconstruct what you've been taught as a white person. Yeah. Like all the things that you've held on to, all the, all the things that you've been taught about about people of different color, and then I. But the reality of it is though so too is I have to deconstruct what I've been taught as a Hispanic person being raised in the white culture because I have to come back to say like, no, I gotta remember who I am, like where did I come yeah. from? I love watching um, John um, uh was it Latin Ameri- Latin history yeah. for but, for dummies uh, or for morons or something like that. Like like I think that's what's called.
1: Latin history for, for morons. Yeah, yeah, my wife loved that. Do you understand, Bobby? That that my wife still talks about that and she rewatched it. It just blew her mind.
0: <laughs> there there is so much to learn. But the thing is, what I praise yeah. what I praise your wife about on that, right? Is that she took the time to watch it and rewatch it and learn from it. So many people, and I think this is where it becomes tense, is that so many people say uh, I don't want to be I don't want to be taught anything that challenges what I know or what I've known. Because right. then that means that the onus is on them to make the change and they are afraid to do yeah. that. And so what we have to say now is look, don't be afraid to change those parts that you've held on to. Don't don't fret about your skin color, because that's not what our problem is. We don't care that you're white we don't care that you've been taught to be white what we care is that you're willing to to listen to us and be a part of the process with us and allow us into your story right allow allow us to play a role and to and to not just use our culture like don't like that's the thing right like i was i was thinking about this today like look just just because you participate in Taco Tuesday does not make, make you a Latin person, right? It does not make you somebody oh, right. Who, right. who who is like, oh, no, I support Mexicans. I, I love Mexicans. I love Taco Tuesday. That is oh, not helping that, right? God. That is not helping. That <laughs> is not what you mean by That is just you taking over our culture and right. using it for your advantage. That is yeah. – <laughs> like that's not okay. Um you can't say, "Well, I love black people." I listen to I listen to hip hop all the time. Okay, great. You love the music, but do you know the hurt of the music? Do you know where the music right. came from? Like, did you have you listened to Tupac? Like, have you listened to to Brenda had a baby? Have you listen Have you listened to the words of "Dear Mama"? Have you listened to those words? Have you listened to the to the to the stories of um from uh. Um, shoot, from you know, you can listen to N.W.A. Right? You can listen to those guys and, and understand like where they're coming from, from the streets. Right? you can, you can hear those stories, and if you really embrace those stories, then you can say, okay, cool, I'm with it, right? Because you're you're paying attention. Yeah. But if you're just saying, no, I like having good bass in my car, you're you're just using the culture for your benefit. You have no yeah. desire to learn. That's what good we're point. asking people to change. Quit you using the cultures to to be able to be, you know, comfortable and to be, you know, cool or whatever but take yeah. no time to learn about who you're using.
1: The the culture can't like that like a uh, appreciating someone's food or music, it can be a window into somebody else's world if you let it, but what the attitude really has to be is these are people that you know, valuable people that created this art or created this food or created this whatever I'm enjoying, and I want to know about that with respect,
0: yeah. And yeah. and again, ultimately, recognizing as we say all the time on here is that everybody has the image of God embedded in them, right? And absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah. So, so skin is just skin. But we have yeah. to get Jesus eyes, right? We have to get the eyes of God, and that's what we're called to do—is really get into the eyes of the how God sees humanity, and not saying don't see skin color because because that's a whole other issue. Oh, saying I'm colorblind, no, like like that's that actually doesn't help the situation. That really actually makes makes it kind yeah. of worse along the way. And we'll, we can talk about that some other time. But but the reality of it is saying, look, like I see the skin color. I understand it, but I want to look deeper within and I want to see who God sees. I want to see the image of God inside of this person. And when we could remember that, then all of a sudden we actually want to hear stories. We want to understand hurt. We want to understand pain. We want to be a part of this process because now we know that it's not just the skin color, but the image of God is being damaged. The image of God is being hurt. The image of God is being yeah. pushed aside and oppressed because of other people who hold the image of God, but they have a different skin color. <laughs> and so this is, it's like the reversal, right? It's just, I mean, we have to be willing to yeah. sit and learn and listen with each other yeah. in order to grow.
1: I want to tell you, as a white person who's been studying you know, race in America for Uh, at least over a decade maybe and learning about it it has not been a journey of guilt for me I mean I find out things that I don't like about American history or about what my ancestors did but it's not a journey of shame it has been a journey of freedom because what happens is is I get a little real taste of real history not the one that was sort of fed to me to to keep up a narrative of white supremacy, mm-hmm. but like to see what act- happened. And what's amazing is I've just, it's the joy of seeing, you know, everybody's contribution to the American culture that I love, you know, yeah. one of the big white supremacist myths out there is that uh, America is uh, like, and you know, capitalist cultures are white cultures and all the rich cultures uh were created by white people and it's up to white people to decide who should and should not have access to it you know that's the idea with that's why closing borders is so appealing to white supremacists is this idea of like this is a gated community and we're rich in here and you can't come in uh because this is for white whites only right and um that's 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 why a wall building a wall on the Mexican border is so appealing and no mention of a wall made on the Canadian border, right? It's Mm -hmm. not just about America. It's about keeping out people of color and stuff like that. But, um, it has, when I, you know, it has been a, a, a really nice time for me. Each time I see the lies, I learn a little more truth and it sets me free in just the way that I can basically just love other people better. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the greatest moments for me was just when they mapped the human genome and they basically, you know, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no biological basis for race. I was like, that's awesome, you know, because all of that stuff that I had been taught about racial superiority and inferiority can't exist
0: mm-hmm. if
1: if there's no such if there's no biological basis for race yeah you know that if every like a, so so then I'm I, then I felt this sense of brotherhood to all people. I didn't feel like I had to really feel different. That was a big moment for me in the early 2000s, you know because I just started going like you know i I don't have to be afraid of middle Eastern people because really that's a guy just like me, you know mm-hmm. I do not have to be afraid of black people because really that's a guy just like me. And there's been a lot of freedom in that. It's it's it, it basically humanized everyone for me in the middle of a culture that has tried really hard to dehumanize people who don't look like um you know Ken and Barbie.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think um, you know, the, the, oh, man, all of that so good. I I wish you gosh. We're almost up on our hour already but um but we're we're going to be car- I think we're going to be carrying this conversation for another week or so probably because um yeah you know there's a lot to be said we didn't even get into the whole idea of using the bible as a prompt um but that we'll be talking about that and I, I think probably <laughs> in our next episode <laughs>
1: yeah because I um, don't know uh that seemed to have backfired
0: <laughs> yeah i think um we'll be talking about about again the hijacking of 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 uh the church um for political gain um and for and for movements. I think that there's there there's a call for the church to be used for movement, but hijacking it to, to fulfill your agenda, there's a whole other there's a whole other issue there. So we'll be talking about that um next week actually. I think that'll be our topic for next week. But um cool. but, but for this though, I think that I think this is where we're we're gonna stop. I think that we I think we know yeah. now, right? It's like I think that it's very clear that we're we're at the the cusp of like, okay now what, right? Um, because I think everybody's saying, Okay, cool, like the conversation is being had. A lot of people don't like what's being said. And we'll be talking about that too, because because um because even in in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's funny how people always want to say yeah. like like people people aren't gonna like you if you follow Jesus. No, people aren't gonna like you if you start living the way Jesus lived, right? And and doing what he called you to do. And Matthew uh, chapter 5, very, very clear when he's going through blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who – it's like when you're walking in that way. And then at the end of it, he says, and blessed are those of you who actually do what I teach because um, people are not going to like you, right, because of what I teach you. Yeah. And that's what he taught. And that's the reason why people shouldn't like us. And the people who aren't going to like us are, well, the religious people who – are, it's it's turning over the whole system. When we're truly living for Christ, yeah. the systems start to change. When we're truly truly living for Christ, our systems, the ones that are embedded inside of us, start to start to change, start to shift. Um, we can no longer. I've been preaching this on Sunday mornings for the past few Sundays. Um, but you know the phrase of "I am who I am." You know that's just I, that's just who I am. Like I'm I'm always going to be this way. No. No, that's a bogus lie that we love to tell ourselves to feel comfortable about the way that we are. But we are no yeah. – the only person who is able to say I am who I am is God because he stays constant. Yeah. He stays constant. He he's loved his creation from the very beginning. He's been ju- just yeah. from the very beginning. He's kindness, compassion, empathy, hope, all that in him from the very beginning. So he stays the same. We are the ones that change. We are the ones that are not supposed to be. I am. We are supposed to be shifting and being something new because we're learning and growing and changing if we're willing. We cannot say, well, I've always been racist. I'm going to be a racist. I've always been this way. So I'm going to be this way. No, because we can't uh, be that way. Man. So that's where I'm at. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, man. And for me, I just hope that, you know, people, um, keep it going. I mean, keep it going. I'm seeing young people speak out. Um, I'm, I'm seeing town halls happen. I just hope more and more. My dream is that every church in this state hosts some, some town hall meetings, man, like these, these kind of things with, you know, uh, we've got all white churches in this state. We've got a couple of very small, black churches in the state and I would just love to see them kind of cross-pollinate a little bit and that some of these people would come in. The cool thing is I'm, I am seeing that happen. Like I you know, I've been invited to to join a a Facebook group and you know, they're they're sort of getting together and I'm telling you it's just like a church out of Stonewood, a church out of Clarksburg, a couple people out of Bridgeport and they're just like getting together and talking about this stuff. And it's people all skin colors in this thing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like this is happening. You know? That's great. I, I couldn't. I I don't know, man. That that to me is a blessing. That feels like a God thing. That is something I've wanted to see happen for a long time. Didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to approach the topic with anybody. I mean, you know. Uh, but I'd love to see that happen in my own congregation, and I think they're probably coming around to you know where they want something like that. You know. Because, I mean, just a couple years ago, you know, I would say something uh, about racial injustice or racism in America, and I would still get people in my church to say, racism is not a thing, it doesn't exist. It's in someone's imagination, and quit stirring stuff up. Yeah. You know? and i actually think you know and i was like man we're so far away from ever having like real conversations about what's wrong here i think maybe we're getting closer to that and you know this was probably i i hope that this was a big step forward
0: yeah my only for the hearts. My yeah only thing to that for a big step
1: forward for the hearts of the people
0: yeah i, I and I, I i think that's true i think it's very true i think um my only thing that I want to throw into that mix, though, is um, don't just have a town hall just to have a town hall, right?
1: Yeah. Don't, just, don't yeah. just have
0: a discussion just to have a discussion to say, okay, cool, we checked that off. We we at least had a discussion. Have a call. Right. Have, a, have a plan of action. Before you have the town hall, sit with those people that you want to sit with, the people of color, the, and just have a group saying, hey, before we go into having this town hall meeting yeah. – Let's talk about what are steps that we could be taking after the town hall. Like what should we be planning on doing in order to keep this going? Because the reali- the reality of it is, is that when sometimes we let things fall to the wayside after having things like this, and so we need to be always yeah. thinking forward. Like, okay, so now we have this conversation, afterwards, what are we going to do? What, what right. do we have in place now where we're saying, look, these are these are the intentional things we are going to do in order to show that we're putting our money where our mouth is. So,
1: Right. Like basically, you're saying let's have it be real. It's like if we were going into marriage counseling, we could sit with the counselor uh, because and listen and talk and discuss because we want to save the marriage, or we could sit and listen to the counselor with no intention of saving the marriage. We just want to say, well, we tried.
0: Yeah. Right. You know,
1: or you know, or the sort of fake town hall meeting. Uh, maybe someone doing that because. I would compare it to, uh, well, you know, like uh, when they send people to anger management to save their job, you know, (laughs) they're like, you blew up at work or you were insensitive at work or whatever. So now you have to go to four anger management trainings. And that person has no, I no uh, intention of changing. They're just going to check the box so that they don't get fired because they need money.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so be real, make sure you have a plan. Don't just do it just to do it. And maybe, yeah. and maybe we can talk about that some other time too, about like, okay, so what's the right way to really be mobilizing for change? Because, because um, there's a lot that could be said about that too. Um, but anyway, we are way, well, not way over, but we're about five minutes over our time. Hopefully people are still sticking with us in this conversation. Well,
1: we're going to stick, we're going to stick a pin in it. And <laughs> if everything is going away, I hope we're going to want to talk about this again next week.
0: Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well we're gonna be going into that hijacking conversation next week. So that's gonna be a, I think that'll be a good one. So um but hey man okay. again, I appreciate your conversation. And I'm gonna be sharing I think I'm gonna be sharing the um the Zoom call that um on our on our frankincense podcast page on Facebook so people can start yeah. watching that too.
1: Let's go um, to do that. I'm okay with starting to get a lot, a lot of things coming out of that uh, social media there. I think maybe we just need to connect it to what we're talking about here. So,
0: yeah. So with that though, Hey, um, you know, man, again, I thank you for the conversation. I thank you for what, you know, where, you know, knowing that you're with us and standing with us on that. And uh, I throw myself in that mix because, um, man, I'm, you know, this, there's a reality that I face in this area, especially. And I think that, um, you know, there's a reality that I had to face as as a child. And so, there's something that we need to be aware of in that. And so I'm, I'm glad to know that we can have this conversation and, and still be friends, you know? And so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. in all of that, though, um, this has been a fun time. I hope that our listeners are enjoying it. Again, if you are liking what you're hearing, please uh, share, rate, comment, do what you got to do. Um, you are listening to this because, uh, you know, the more people hear it, the better. So um, we appreciate you guys. So with that, I'm Bobby. And I'm Jared. And this has been the Frankincense Podcast. We will talk to you later. Bye.